Hi, friends. I've got some exciting news. Shelter in Place has been nominated in two categories for the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Voting happens only in the month of July, and the winning podcasts are selected by you, our listeners. Head to shelterinplacepodcast.info to vote, support this work, and join our Shelter in Place neighborhood. Thanks for being on this journey with us. It means a lot. Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. I think the real patriotism is where you're putting in the hard work to make your country better, whether it's military service or marching for civil rights or community service. You know, you're actually doing something. It's the 4th of July. Independence Day here in the United States. So it's only fitting that on today's Story Saturday, I'm talking with someone who spent a lot of time thinking about patriotism. Hi, my name is Tino Din. I was born in the United States, the son of refugees from the Vietnam War who came over in 1975 and who settled in Houston. I have two boys, age 14 and 11, and I'm happily married to my wife who's from Korea. I'm a U.S. Air Force veteran. Um, I graduated from the Air Force Academy, and I served eight years of active duty as an intelligence officer, including a deployment to Iraq in 2004. Tino is a management consultant for government agencies. He's the guy who looks at the government up close and connects the dots and finds the trends that most of us would miss. They basically help federal government agencies solve their problems, kind of the plumbing and the guts of the government. A lot of my work today is with the Department of Veterans Affairs, helping to prevent fraud that would target veterans for justly earned benefits. I originally reached out to Tino because of something I read in Sebastian Younger's book, Tribe, which I talked about in episode 53, A Better Way. Younger said that he witnessed real community in the military that he wasn't used to seeing in society, that the shared experience of being in combat formed a common bond that transcended race, class, and politics. I was skeptical, but also fascinated. In this time when systemic racism is so prevalent, it's hard to imagine an exception. And the military is definitely not the first place I would have gone looking for that exception. I asked Tino if being in the military was as unifying and equalizing as Younger claimed. Tino admitted that he'd had a few negative experiences over the years, things people said to him that they shouldn't have. But overall, he thought Younger was right. I can only speak to my experience. I'm, I'm not a combat veteran, which that, that's its own unique thing. But I will say that generally I would agree with Younger's assessment. People don't assume that I'm a veteran. which is annoying in itself, right? Because I think a lot of Americans have this stereotype of a big, muscular white dude and veterans come in all shapes and sizes. But once that is out there, I think there's this instant connection because being a veteran, you know, that 1% of American society is almost like being a minority. And because there's a language, there's a code, there's a culture that outsiders really don't get, but we kind of get each other. We can cut across these divisions. The military demographically is a cross-section of America. You take people from all walks of life. You know, you get farm boys from Iowa and inner city kids from East Los Angeles and cowboys from Texas. You take these young people from all across the country, you throw them in a blender, you you force them to work together towards some common goal. And then you give them an identity that transcends 
wherever it is they came from, I think in a way is kind of a beacon for the United States. I mean, in much the way that integration happened and started with the Army and the Department of Defense back in the late 40s, early 50s, the unity of purpose and having that common experience is really the key there. We have all of these people, but what connects them is that shared experience especially if they deployed or they've been in a combat unit or they've been through, in my case, like a service academy experience. When you go through that experience together, it it gives you that bond that cuts across the demographic but the ideological divide. I have to stop here and say that this kind of thinking is just so different from what I'm used to. Talking to Tino made me realize that I had my own assumptions about the military. Even though I've had family members serve and grew up hearing about my grandparents' war stories, Living in the Bay Area, most people I know have pretty complicated feelings about the military. There's a lot of conversation about the horrors of war, about PTSD or genocide or human rights abuses. Many of the people in my city came here because they were fleeing a war in another country. Some of them are pacifists. Tino says he gets that a lot from the people he knows, too. Even in Asian American community, for example, military service is almost looked down upon, which is really unfortunate. I I know that military service itself is not for everybody. I mean, even with my own kids, they have to want to make that choice. I would love for them to have that experience, but I can't force that on them. I think that if we had the right kind of leadership, if we could find that common project to unite us, maybe that's a way to, to transcend our differences. There's an effort being led by General Stanley McChrystal and others where they're, they're pushing the idea of a mandatory national service, not mandatory conscription, but the option of national service as a way of building social cohesion, much in the same way that countries like Israel and South Korea and Germany and Taiwan have, have that type of service. That's kind of radical, but that would be one way to do that. There's huge threats looming, like climate change and natural disasters and pandemics and the rise of populism and autocrats in the world. And under more thoughtful leadership, maybe that could be a rallying cry for us to work together to find solutions to those common threats. But it's really about that unity of purpose. This idea does seem radical to me, but it also doesn't seem totally crazy. I've had friends who served their time in the military in Israel and Switzerland. Granted, they weren't in combat. But generally speaking, the experience seemed to give them a wiser, more mature perspective on the world. They formed friendships with people who were very different from them. It's hard to wrap my head around the possibility that the military could heal some of our divisiveness as a nation. It's so counter to the hyper-individualism that runs so deep in American culture. But there is work to be done in our country, and the unemployment rate is high, especially among young people. If there were a way to serve that looked more like civil service and less like combat, I think I could get behind that. If there's ever a time to question our assumptions about the world, it's now. I feel like a lot of us are starting to question our fundamental assumptions And I think that's a good thing. I think we're entering into a lot of honest conversations that have been brushed under the rug for a long time. We're living amidst a great reckoning with racism and economic uncertainty and that pandemic. I grew up in a very multiracial neighborhood and serving in the military. I pride myself in having friends of all races and nationalities and religious groups and even ideological affiliations. But I can't assume to know what African-Americans go through or what LGBT go through 
And so it's forced me to confront my own assumptions and to just listen. I don't think I've ever recalled being so self-conscious, being outside and wearing a mask. This kind of resurgence of xenophobia in this country, I know it's always been there in American history, but the fact that you have elected officials and you have this COVID and you're just kind of fanning the flames of that xenophobia is, is crazy to me. Where we live in Northern Virginia, that's very multicultural and diverse and, and educated. We haven't had any ugly incidents, but you read this stuff in the news. And that's another thing, right? Some of us may be getting a distorted or inaccurate picture of life because of the way social media filter bubbles and echo chambers and all that work. The things that are affecting all of us, regardless of race, are going to be this pandemic and the natural world we live in and the shape of our economy. Shelter in Place is grateful to be sponsored by Delta Wines, the refined daily drinker with a social good built in. These California wines are fresh and approachable, perfect for casual dinners at home. For every $15 bottle you buy, Delta donates $1 to fighting climate change. Buy online at winesforchange.com and use the code SHELTER to get 10% off. What I love so much about my conversation with Tino is how he kept blowing up my assumptions. He proudly wears his Air Force uniform, but he also understands that our country has problems that we need to address. He doesn't agree with everything our elected officials are doing and saying, but he's supportive of the people serving in our government. People tend to vilify the government, you know, and it's not just one big entity. I mean, all of the things that touch your day-to-day life, from how fast your tactics are returned to get processed, who's controlling the aircraft that fly in the sky, who checks the health and safety of the medicines you buy or the food that you eat, all of that is because of, you know, quote-unquote, bureaucrats. These are dedicated civil servants. I think there's a misconception that a lot of government employees are inadequate or they couldn't make it in the private sector. And that's just not true. I think there's a lot of people that forego corporate life in order to do work that they think is impactful. And the health and safety and security of the United States rests on these public servants doing their jobs. There's a vast machinery of government, and it's all designed to mitigate and deal with the risks out there and that life functions for the average American. The government hires people like me to set things up and, and make sure the machinery works, but it's the elected officials who are actually deriving the policy and, and making the key decisions. Regardless of what political party is in charge, those public servants have to carry on and do their job. The most visible example is Dr. Fauci, but there's many other people like him, research scientists, physicians, people working on vaccine treatments, all those people, right? They're, they're vital to our functioning as a society. These are the people that deserve a lot more appreciation from the public. And it it really hurts when elected officials are bashing these people. They work for the elected officials, the the executive branch, and to have the leadership and the president undermine or denigrate the work of the people that are keeping us safe, it's astounding to me. This sounds kind of like civics 101, but I feel like the average citizen does not appreciate how vital it is to have a competently administered government, a government that functions and runs. So I think the best thing that people can do is be informed about how your government works and elect smart public officials to set the right policies and be informed and and respect evidence and science. That's the most basic thing we can do. Tino has seen the inner workings of our government up close. He understands it better than most of us do. 
I asked him if he thought there was anything hopeful about our current situation as a country. There's potential promise here, right? There's a chance we could rebuild better and stronger if we could focus our collective resources and attention towards investing in things like public health infrastructure and resiliency and income stability to shore ourselves and our society up so that the next time this happens, and it's definitely going to happen again, we'll be a lot better prepared. That's my optimistic take on things. I don't want to be gloom and doom, but my pessimistic take on this is that the political and social polarization, it's going to get in the way of doing something like that. And not only will it leave us ill-prepared for the next crisis, whether it's a pandemic or a natural disaster or social strife or an economic downturn, our lack of unity will make things worse. This seems to be at the heart of every conversation I've had during this pandemic. People of all politics seem to agree that our division is a problem. Tina began this episode talking about patriotism, and so I wanted to return to that idea because I think his version of patriotism might be one that could unite us. I definitely consider myself patriotic. I think the real patriotism is where you're putting in the hard work to make your country better whether it's military service or marching for civil rights or community service, you know, you're actually doing something. Back in 1975, Tino's parents almost died fleeing Saigon. He says that there were communist bullets at their heels when they ran. Tino's parents taught him that being here in the United States is a gift. Tino says that every day he's grateful that this country took in his parents and hundreds of thousands of other Southeast Asian refugees. He doesn't take his patriotism lightly. If we go back far enough, all of us have our complicated reasons for being here. Tino is patriotic, but he also acknowledges that he's the product of American foreign policy. He's here because of the Vietnam War. His wife is here because of the Korean War. And they're just as American as any of us. Maybe more so, because Tino has worked hard for his patriotism. He's committed most of his adult life to serving our military. I'm a student of history. I understand colonialism. I understand all the terrible things that have happened that the United States government has done on its path towards becoming the richest, strongest country in the world. You you can't deny the bad things that have happened, but there are good things that have happened too. So I think you you have to have an objective appreciation of history to be that true patriot. And a patriot is not the same as a nationalist because what unites us is these values, right? You know, you're a Caucasian woman and I'm an Asian guy, but we're Americans. I have relatives that have been in generations in France and they'll never be considered French in a way that I'm considered an American. And for crazy reasons over the last few years, people seem to doubt that. And and I'm, I'm hoping that we can bring that back again. That's a real great hope that I have that maybe we can create that path towards unity for the rest of the country, I would like to think. I think patriotism should be an inclusive term. For me, patriotism is about adhering to and advocating the values of this country and realizing that we're always striving towards a more perfect union. I read this term the other day, plastic patriotism. I think a lot of self-proclaimed conservatives have claimed a monopoly on patriotism, and they think patriotism means that you blast Lee Greenwood, and you have a yellow ribbon on your bumper, and you're dressed head to toe in the flag, and you won't kneel for the anthem, and you're kind of loud and proud, America, love or leave it. And I think that version of quote-unquote patriotism is really superficial and kind of cheap. 
nothing wrong with fireworks and hot dogs and enjoying the summer or some adaptation of that in COVID times. But at least reflecting on the, the fact that in America is like this experiment and it's never been a guarantee. It's always taken conscious effort to make it better. We're really unique in the world in that way. And it's not just because we're the big bully in the block and we have all this money that we can throw around. I think the framework to think about it is with any country or even a person to get people to, to like you and do what you want, you can coerce them, you can bribe them, or you can inspire them. And I think with America, what makes us great is that ability to inspire. And I hope that post-2020, we can get to an America that inspires instead of an America that's just a bully. I think we just need spaces where we can just talk to each other and listen to each other and, and find a way forward and work the problem, right? Like they say in Apollo 13, instead of just shouting at each other. Tino told me that when he sees our country refuse to give asylum to refugees or to use our strength to protect the oppressed around the world, it strikes a nerve for him. Lately, even among some of his Air Force friends, there have been some hard-to-swallow Facebook feeds. Even with these common bonds and common experiences, I'm seeing the fracturing. I mean, tremendously diverse political beliefs. <laughs> and, and I'm starting to see those, those kind of cracks emerge. And, and, and it's kind of been disappointing, you know, because I, these are people that I work with, I grew up with, and I thought we kind of had the same common value system. And to see, you know, some of the things that they're posting or, you know, it's kind of like, do you really believe that? Like, is that <laughs> this whole time, you know, is that what you thought of me? To fight against that cynicism, can we go back to that common bond, those common values? This backlash of certain people, of certain belief systems, really kind of gets in the way of us moving on as a society. We can go back into our tribes and, and start to tear each other apart. Or we could use this as an opportunity to really rethink and redesign and emerge in a much smarter way. What I'm really impressed by with this millennial generation is that they're really motivated by the sense of mission and social justice and the idealism and wanting to do the right thing, maybe in a way like that, that 60s generation was, but they're just a lot smarter and less hedonistic about it. They're willing to endure hardships and sacrifice themselves for a greater good. And that gives me a lot of hope. Tina's patriotism is the kind I can get behind. I didn't grow up thinking that patriotism was something I had to work for. I thought it was like sports team loyalties, just an accident of geography. But I don't think that anymore. On this Independence Day, the daily gift of sanity I'm receiving from Tino is that real patriotism isn't plastic. It's not about the music we listen to or whether or not we have the flag hanging from our front porch. It's not even about who we vote for. It's about being committed to doing the hard work required to make this country what it could be. It's about figuring out how to have conversations with each other so that we can do that work together. Tino told me that his hope and prayer is that we'll snap out of this fog we're in, that we'll embrace the real America, not as some fictitious dream of the past, but of a place where generosity, compassion, and benevolence can emerge once again. Before I go, I want to thank some of our newest supporters of Shelter in Place. Anthony and Michelle DeVito, you have always made us feel safe to be ourselves. Whether it's been teaching and caring for our kids, conversations about life purpose over the San Mateo Bridge, or helping us plan a life in Mexico, you've cared for us and supported us so well. 
Lucy French, there are precious few who can be truly helpful in a mother's darkest hour of night and pain. And you have that gift. Thank you for holding me and telling me it was going to be okay when I was terrified and disgusting. Thank you for blessing us twice over with your beautiful spirit and calming presence. Roxanne Beth Johnson, thank you for being the safest place I know of to share my newborn sentences and paragraphs and for drawing me into deeper creativity, faith, and friendship. God did a marvelous thing when he created you. If you found today's episode meaningful and listen on iTunes, Stitcher, or any platform that allows you to rate and review, leaving a quick note about what you appreciate about the show moves us a little closer to being able to make this work sustainable, not just now, but in the future. Shelter in Place is proud to be supported by Imagine Mindfulness, an online mindfulness-based stress reduction program to reduce stress, anxiety, depression, and pain while improving awareness, clarity, and concentration. Support this show by using the promo code SHELTER when you register online at imaginemindfulness.com. As always, you can find show notes for today's episode as well as ways to support the show at shelterinplacepodcast.info. The Shelter in Place music was created by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions. Tamara Kimsley is our associate producer. Nate Davis is our creative director. And Sarah Edgel is our design director. Until Monday, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.